Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, radio for the imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. I thank you so much for listening to the show and, of course, celebrating with us everything creating and sharing stories. So let's get together and tune our imaginations. I'm going to play just a snippet of music. It's just a couple minutes. And you might not recognize a song from the opening, but I bet about a minute in, you'll know what we're talking about. I just found this, and it was really fun. This is from the um, Berliner Philharmonica. Let's take a listen. It's kind of a, a, oh, I don't know. It'll set the mood. How's that? Let's go. Isn't that fantastic? I don't know. I had so much fun listening to that. I thought I would share that with you today. Again, that is the uh, Berliner Philharmoniker and directed by the conductor Sir Simon Rattle. And if you didn't recognize it, Pomp and Circumstance, Opus 39, March number one by Edward Elgar. And it's just so much fun. I absolutely love this season. So happy graduation season to everyone out there. I love these days when we hear that march, pomp and circumstance. We get to watch clips from the commencement speeches, see the students in their caps and gowns, glimpse at the pictures with the proud and maybe relieved parents. We become a witness to the transition that is beginning to unfold. And we are reminded of the times in our life when we've celebrated a big accomplishment. Sometimes we're faced with the recognition of the passage of time. How many years has it been since I was a graduate? 
each year, it feels a little wilder that the gap between my world, at least this is how I, I, I see it, as a graduate and the current graduates, it, it seems to expand at an exponential pace. Inside, I can feel like I am that recent grad with so many possibilities open to me. Then I realize that decades have passed since that time. It's kind of unbelievable. But I still got dreams to pursue, and that's what it reminds me of, and that's why I enjoy it. And it also makes me think of going to weddings and family celebrations as a kid and wondering why so many of the adults seemed melancholy, or sometimes they would have a tear in their eye. As kids, we didn't know how speedy life would fly by us or that some of those things that happen in life might happen to us or someone we love. And as grown-ups, we can look at that celebration and then look at all of us old folks there and share that mixed feeling of being able to witness the joyful event and reflect on our own paths and recognize that we are now in fact one of those old folks and that's okay life is such full of such promise always and the it, the important thing is to know that these are the moments that matter and that's maybe why everybody gets a little oh nostalgic emotional at those times and I think that's a healthy frame of mind. It's one of the ways that we can get back to that and have by doing that, by sharing stories about what life was like, how we remember our school days, how we thought we were going to conquer the world. And I hope that this time of year inspires you to remember your dreams. And maybe this Artsany show will prompt you to take a look back and look ahead. So enjoy the ride. Today in the Art Zany Radio Studio, I am thrilled to be able to welcome to Art Zany author and teacher Jim Holden. He's going to share his new publication, Retracing Footsteps, Memories of Teaching at Northfield High School. And I want to thank the Northfield Public Library because they did such a great job with his introduction for his event held earlier uh, this year in May, I believe it was, that I printed that out for myself to give a little introduction to who Jim was. And it's it's really a, an amazing and interesting and fascinating story. Retracing Footsteps, Memories of Teaching at Northfield High School is a nostalgia trip back to the tumultuous 1970s and 80s when Jim taught English at Northfield High School. It is an attempt to give readers a sense of what school life was like during those years of social unrest, racial tension, war protests, and many school innovations. The book is geared especially to former NHS students, teachers, and staff, but he also hopes it will be of interest to other Northfield residents who lived through those years. And I can say as someone who didn't attend Northfield High School, I found it fascinating because it reminded me of some of the things that I went through. And so there's a lot you can connect with in this book. Jim Holden taught in a variety of <clears throat> settings during his 41-year career. Wow, that is a long time to be a teacher. Beginning at Minnetonka Junior High School, a year in England, and then in two high schools, Minneapolis Central and Northfield. But he also taught in the Education Department at Gustavus and, and St. Olaf Colleges and in the Cannon Valley Elder Collegium. In his retirement, he has written a number of books, including one based on his experience coaching tennis at Northfield High School, titled Tennis in the Northland, a history of boys' high school tennis in Minnesota. In addition, he has written a memoir of that year teaching in England called A Yank in Queen Elizabeth's Court, and a book about fishing called Heron Thieves, A Bat Out of Hell, and other fly fishing stories, essays, and poems. So, great stories. You have a lot of interests and a lot of amazing things. Welcome to Arts Annie Radio, Jim. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. Of course, it's a thrill, and I'd love if you could um, just tell us a little bit about how this book came to be, and uh, maybe a little bit... I, I, I like how it started, which is talking about the beginning of the teaching year. So maybe, how did you feel at the beginning of putting this book together? Well, it was it had been festering for quite some time, and uh, I finally decided, you know, this it's time to get this out. There were a lot of stories that I thought people needed to know, and uh, so I I dug through my my archives, and I must say that as a writer, I'm not. One of those people who has a, 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 a great memory for events that happen, but I have kept things. I'm kind of a hoarder, so I've kept all kinds of documents, and I do keep a journal, so I have journal notes and things of that sort, which really helped in the preparation of this book. And so I, I finally decided, you know, this is this is something I need to do before I 
go too far into my dotage because <laughs> I'm pretty old. But. Well, you're young at heart, I can tell that. <laughs> you have a lot of enthusiasm for this. And so when you were putting it together, what were you thinking? Because I would imagine if you have notes from 41 years of teaching, mm-hmm. that's a lot to sort through and you can't put every story in it. No, you can't. And I had already written a couple of things that had been published. One was in the Northfield News, and I think one was published in the Minnesota English Journal, uh, which was my professional journal at the time I was an English teacher. And so those were ones that I thought I I need to include as well. And then these others just sort of popped up. The ABC program was one that, in, in truth, I could have written a book about that. It was a really extraordinary story, and I got a lot of good information from people who were involved with the program. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, particularly Dick and Barb Crowder, who were the first parents in the in the house, the ABC house. So, um, And, you know, I, I really wanted to honor my colleagues. Uh, I taught with so many wonderful people, particularly the people in my English department, uh, who were just great people, and uh, it was one of the best English departments around, I think. And and so I wanted to honor them and bring some of the stories to life so that people will remember, remember them, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, and it, it does a good job doing that. And um, one, like I mentioned, you start with a story about the first day of school. It was from your journal, uh, a, a note that oh, you yes, yes, had yes, written, yes. and you were feeling a little, you know, trepidation, a little oh, like yeah. <laughs> um, wondering about uh, why do I do this and am I really making a difference for the students? Um, should I keep going another year? And I imagine there's a lot of teachers that, you know, feel that. It's a difficult job. It, and, it is. And I tell you what, I really am glad I'm not doing it now. I really feel for, for all the problems that are going on right now in, in schools and, and, and in culture. And I think it's very difficult to be a teacher right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that everybody experiences. I think you go through that. You wonder, am I am I doing the right thing? Should I keep doing this? And I actually, early in my career, I thought about changing careers. I actually interviewed for a position with the YMCA in Minneapolis, but decided, no, I'm going to stay with this. And in the end, I'm really glad that I did because I think everybody should have a calling. Uh, Joseph Campbell talks about uh, finding your bliss. Okay. And I think in the end, I did find my bliss in teaching and uh, I think it was something that I I was called to do and I'm glad I did it and uh, glad I stuck with it. Yeah, and we are glad you did too because that meant you were in Northfield for 20, uh, one of those? 29, 21, 20. 21 years I taught, yeah, into high school, right? Right, which yeah. is a, a really great investment in our community. Oh, thank you. And I, I wonder, the um, teaching kept you going back what was it that kept you returning each year after year after year for those those times well i i really loved working with kids and i loved seeing how they developed and grew in their and then matured and particularly i must say even though it was very difficult one of the classes that i taught that i enjoyed most uh was writing mm. i really enjoyed writing teaching writing classes because you could see progress you could see real growth and I did have a number of students who came back and said they really were pleased that I taught them how to write. They said that anyway, whether I believed it or not is another thing. But uh, so, so that was something that was, was very important to me is, is to find a way to teach them how to write. And I think I was successful at that, and, and that was really a big part of my teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you have great stories to share. I was surprised that you start off this book um, by jumping into the Northfield High School Athletic Banquets. That well, wasn't where I expected we were going to go. <laughs> well, you know what? It was such an extraordinary story. Um, you know, the the person who got it started was Don Hill, who's still living. He lives on Nevada and Woodley Street. He's 90, I think, now. Uh, his son, Steve, lives in town, and um, I see him every once in a while, and I see Don once in a while, too. But he was an extraordinary guy, very charismatic guy, um, and he decided when he came to Northfield in 1964, had been teaching in a smaller town west of Northfield, uh, that he wanted to start an athletic banquet program for all sports in the spring. And we would have a celebration for everybody uh, on those teams that time. And we would invite a speaker, an, uh, an important speaker. And he got the idea of doing this and started the first year in 1964 by of all things, inviting Jesse Owens. I know that was unbelievable to read. Like he sh- shoot for the stars, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and and we paid him six hundred dollars. There's a side story about this: is that his wife, Marilyn, 
told Jesse Owens the wrong date, and he actually came to the bank. He came to Northfield a week before he was scheduled to give the talk. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and luckily, he came back the next week to give the talk. But uh, Jesse Owens was a remarkable person, as you know, uh, 1936 Olympic, 100-meter mm. champion, 200-meter champion, long jump champion, and a member of the relay team, 4 by 100 relay team and destroyed Hitler's notion of an Aryan race. I mean, here's a, a black guy from the South, who's from Ohio, actually, uh, who who has beat, beating all these white guys, these Aryan super race guys. And so it's an extraordinary story. So that was the first year. Now the second year, <laughs> he had Jackie Robinson. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was not here at the time. I didn't come till 1970, so I came in at, at the time we had some other prominent speakers too but we had ray scott who was a minnesota twins baseball announcer uh haywood hale bruin who was a famous eastern sports writer we also had um glenn cunningham now that's a really interesting story cunningham was the first man who ran a mile he, he broke the mile record he and his brother had been involved in an incident in a school they were supposed to light a kerosene stove to start the fire for the the school, but the brother put gasoline instead, and it blew the, the 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 stove up, and he was killed. The brother was killed, and Cunningham, his legs were injured, and they thought he might even have to amputate one of his legs, but they used some um, modern at that time therapy to restore his legs, and the result was he became a champion miler. He also participated in the 1936 Olympics with Jesse Owens. So he was one of the other speakers. So we had a continuing legacy of speakers like that, football coaches, uh, Forrest Evashevsky from University of Iowa, who got fired the day mm. before he was supposed to come to Northfield, showed up in his Cadillac car, and Don Hill met him and said, he said, am I supposed to speak here today? <laughs> <laughs> so there are all kinds of little stories like that and, and and eventually we we then went to local people we had Whitey Oss from St. Olaf we had Bubba Sullivan's dad Bob Sullivan who was football coach at Carlton yeah and I spoke. want to bring out a quote from what was in the article about in okay. your book from sure. Bob Sullivan which I it thought was amazing right okay. the, um, he, which he was an amazing yeah he was a great, he's a great guy um, he, he was, you, you quote him as saying he urged his listeners to adopt an I believe philosophy hmm. and to take the attitude that imagination is the key to building a winning attitude oh yeah you would and you would, you would get I into did. That. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's, you know, he made a connection sure. between imagination and sports and his athletes right. and coaching. But I think it was, you know, really his, his mentorship that right. um, was the key. And so, you know, using his imagination to make that happen really yeah. did spark something in me, of course. Yeah. And these events really, um, I mean, they attracted hundreds of people. It did. We had five or 600 people showing up. The first uh, years, they charged $3 for adults and $2 for students, and eventually it was more. But, yeah, they had good turnout. And the turnouts were at the old high school, which is the White Center. I don't know if you knew that, mm -hmm. but that, that used to be the old high school, junior high school and high school. Um, and... Um, and then eventually, in 1966, the uh, the new high school was built, and all the events were held there eventually. But now, unfortunately, we only had two women speakers. Uh, one of them was Ellen Mosier, who was a famous basketball coach at the University of Minnesota, and then Tammy Metcalf-Filson, who has a legendary uh, Northfield uh, person who participated in that 1979 girls basketball team that was runner-up in the state tournament, played at St. Olaf, <clears throat> and eventually coached at Carleton left Carleton and went to Shattuck. I think she coached there for a while. I think her daughter was playing there, and then maybe, a, or Bethlehem Academy, maybe it was, mm. and then came back to Carleton. I think she's coaching at Carleton again. So we've had two women speakers. We had Jim Dimmick was another speaker, and uh, and so on. So. Yeah, and it was a kind of a extraordinary event. I loved how it brought everybody together. It was always i think from what i read wrapped around positivity mm -hmm. and inspiring role models and kind of that idea of celebrating teamwork which comes through a lot in this this book um and a lot of uh great great things happened because a lot of people just got together it felt like there was a real sense of 
trying to make the world better, trying to help mm-hmm. help students. So you go through those stories in here. And well, that's what teachers are supposed to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's hard. There's a lot on, yeah. on a teacher's plate. And so thinking of those bigger things is, is a challenge. And one of those things you mentioned earlier was um, the Northfield ABC program, which mm-hmm. is a better chance. And I should mention to our listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're here um, talking about the book Retracing Footsteps, Memories of Teaching at Northfield High School with teacher and author Jim Holden. And he's got a, a new um, collection of these stories. And um, if people are interested in the stories and want to read more, we've just barely touched on the surface of some of those the, in the beginning. But uh, where can they get copies? Well, they could call me at 645-5313. Or they could email me at Holden, H-O-L-D-E-N, at edu. H-O-L-D-E-N at S-T-O-L-A-F dot E-D-U. Either either contact is good. Book is $15. I will also send it out for $20 if people want to order a copy that way. I I will send them out as well. So those are the ways to to contact me. I don't have a website. And there's a possibility that you could go to our local bookstore. Content. Uh, Content. We'll have some more copies. They've sold a number of copies and we'll have some more as well. And I think there's some at the Historical Society. A couple, three at at the Historical Society. And I bet the library has a copy. Library has a copy if if they just want to not buy it and read it. Just want to check (laughs) it. Check it it out. Check it out first before they they buy it. Um, And Mm. there's there's really great stories in here. But this one surprised me because I did not know anything about the Northfield ABC program. And um, it, it was based, there's a, a, a national organization. Right. Now, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read a little bit from sure. the book about this program because I think it is an extraordinary one. And I could have written a book about this. There's so much in this story that could have, could have come out. But uh, in any case, uh, the first ABC programs began in 1963 on the college campuses of Duke, Dartmouth, Williams, Mount Holyoke, and Carleton College in Northfield. Uh, the goal was to create a prep school environment, particularly to sco- in schools and in college communities where the necessary tutoring resources and community enthusiasm could be expected. Over the years, the program has done very well. For since its inception, the number of a better chance alumni attending college after high school is more than 96%, compared, with, compared to 24% of students of color nationwide who went on to college. Uh, so it was started here as an experimental program. Um, Charlotte and Bardwell Smith were two of the uh, founders, and there were a number of really uh, legendary, in some respects, Northfield people who got it going. Uh, It got a particularly big boost when Frank Morrell recruited Fred Easter from Windsor Mountain School in Massachusetts in 1968 to serve as assistant minority director for the summer ABC program. People will know Fred as perhaps more as Mary Easter's (laughs) (laughs) husband. (laughs) Fred has left Northfield. I think he actually died just very recently, unfortunately. Mary's still very active Mm -hmm. and still writing poetry. She is a talented poet. She is indeed. Fred was uh, an African-American, and he had grown up in Harlem. But he'd also graduated from Harvard, so he had both the street cred and the academic qualifications needed to relate to the students. His salary for the summer was $1,000. Uh, and, you know, he, he was a big help in getting that program going. And what happened then is that eventually Carlton donated a house on 3rd and Union, I think it is, and uh, they gave it to the ABC program. And Dick Crowder, retired uh, religion professor from Carlton, and his wife Barbara were the first host parents in that house. But before that came to be, that was 1968, in 1966, Charlotte Smith and others in the community recruited two young students to come and live with parents, host parents in the community. Um, Green was was her first name. I'll have to, have to look it up. But anyway, there was a gal and a guy from the Betty, fir- wasn't it Betty? Betty, Betty, Betty. Yeah, right. McGee, Betty McGee, uh, was the first gal, and then there was a young man as well who came. But the first house was started in 1968, and there were ten boys in that house, and then five girls who were recruited and were in the community. So we had 15 people from various places across the country, from small schools in the south, from big city schools, 
all over, and they were from they were in schools that were low performing, difficult places to learn. You know, they didn't have the resources, so they were brought here with the idea of giving them an opportunity to get a good education, and they did. And several of them even went on to local colleges. I think a couple of them went to Carleton and, and maybe one or two at St. Olaf as well. Uh, so they stayed in Northfield. Some of them and we should place it in time because, as you said, this was the late 60s, early 70s when it began. So it was a time of the Vietnam War. There was racial unrest, protests. And there were Northfield Northfielders who wanted to support the efforts to provide an equal education for young people of color. And it was so fun to hear Charlotte and Bardwell Smith's story as a part uh-huh. of this. Um, they touched so many lives in, in our community in so many different ways. Although it's it's also a, kind of a, a hard topic to talk about because uh, just just the details of it and the uh, there wasn't a hundred percent support in the community for right. it, and right. so that um, is part of the story as well. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll just read a little bit about it. This is from a piece in that chapter called "Trouble in River City." According to Barb Crowder, there was a concerned citizens group which. Co- uh, considered the students as outsiders who should pay tuition. It was really a smokescreen for racism, she said. For this and other reasons, this group placed petitions signed by 1,200 citizens of Northfield in businesses downtown in order to garner support for their opposition to the ABC program. There were also a number of racist incidents that first year. For example, someone placed a burning cross in the front yard of the ABC house a blatant sign of racism not commonly seen in the town. It should be noted as I get off, get out of this uh, script for a moment. Uh, we were a very homogeneous community back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, there were no Hispanic people here that I knew of. A few black families, um, but very, very few people of color in, in Northfield at the time. On one occasion, cars would drive around on Sunday evening full of kids who were yelling racial insults and things like, go home. Um, Pierce Johnson, one of my former students and tennis players, said that when he attended sports events at Northfield High School, everyone from the other high schools would accuse the ABC program of importing great athletes to join the Northfield sports program. Rival basketball coaches cited NHR, NHR star Larry Thomas, a 1973 ABC graduate, in their allegations. An article in the Northfield News spoke of other complaints raised by Northfielders over the program. The ABC students refused to participate in the flag pledge, Pledge of Allegiance, that is. Some wore black power emblems on their arms, and they might have been influenced by the so-called New Left movement. So anyway, it was it was a difficult time in many respects. But be, in a couple, three years, that died down, and the program really became a, an integral part of the public school system for 20 years until 1988. Yeah, and what I was thinking about as I was reading that and feeling, you know, Lots of different feelings about was this the right decision? You know, I'm thinking about those parents of those students who came here to Northfield, what that might have felt like to send your, you know, child across the country (laughs) to an unknown land uh, hoping for uh, something better. The host parents and how challenging that must have been to have the, the, you know, community have some of those terrible things uh, be said uh, about the students and thinking that was over 50 years ago. Yeah. And there are echoes of things, you know, in in our world today as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. that is um also, you know, you think gosh, we just can't seem to <laughs> get this figured out. Um why was it important for you to include this in in your book? Well, it's probably important because I had had an experience we went we went to England in 1965-66 and I had a transformational experience there because I saw a lot of anti-American sentiment going mm-hmm. on. It was the Vietnam War. Oh, sure. And um, came back with a kind of missionary zeal to do something to help out. I went back and I taught another couple years at Minnetonka, uh, where I began my teaching career. And then I decided, you know, I wanted to teach inner city. So I went to Minneapolis Central High School <clears throat> to teach for two years, an experience that I really enjoyed. And that gave me a real appreciation for the difficulties that kids of color and, and others experience in this country. And I, I love teaching there. Um, we finally left for a variety of reasons, but we had little kids and we were living in the city and we wanted to move out. But um, So when I came here, another chapter in the, in the book is about uh, an experience that we created based on my time at Central. Russ Margulies and I, a social study teacher, 
started a, a program which we invited kids from Minneapolis Central to come down for a day and spend a day with uh, students in Northfield. And we did that twice, and then we also took students up to Central for a day. Unfortunately, the ones that went were probably the ones that didn't really need to go, but at the same time, it was a good experience for them. And I just thought, you know, this is a way to um, bring an awareness of what it's like to be living in a different color skin and in maybe a different place in this country, maybe in a city, maybe in a small southern town. So, yeah, those are those are those are some experiences that uh, made me do this help yeah, me do this it is really fascinating and there's a uh, I, I like i like the bios that you give of, of several of the students yeah. who participate in the program i think it was betty mckee um page 28 and 29 that really uh just spoke to me uh, of her story i'm trying to remember the details of I mean, she. I think she stayed with uh, Bardwell's and, yes. and Charlotte's family. Yes, she did. Uh-huh. Right. And what a lucky, lucky, lucky young lady that must have been. But uh, she, she spoke very fondly of her time. Oh yeah, in she Northfield. did. She did. She was really terrified when she came, of course, you know, because she'd all these images of racism from her own growing up. You well, know, and in the that's South and, yeah, and that's what I think maybe intrigued me was that you know she talked about how. Um, where she grew up, it was still, I mean, that this just amazes me that they still had water fountains with um, W's on them oh, yeah. for the white folks. Yeah, right. She lived in a place where she, if she wasn't working for some, you know, if you were a black person wor- working for someone, you could speak to a white person. But otherwise you right. didn't. You kept right. your own separate worlds. And right. there was no integration in the schools. Right. All of her right. fellow students at her school were black. So that must have been yeah. a terrifying experience I'm to sure come was. here. yeah. Um, and that's, I think, some of what happens is that, um, you know, we, we fail to have that imagination, maybe piece of it, that mm-hmm. what we live isn't what everybody lives. Right. That the world right. that we inhabit isn't the same for other people's experiences. And right. so we have to tell those stories. We have right. to share. We have to learn from other people and yeah. get to know them. Well, it's, it's, it's a consciousness-raising raising thing as well. You know, I should also mention that one of the things I talk about in the program, in, the, in that chapter in the ABC program, is that the, the TORCH program mm-hmm. really is an inheritor, I think, of that program. We dropped the program in 1988, in part because it was getting a little more expensive, and uh, some people from Eden Prairie came down. They were, they were, there were four schools in Minnesota were doing the ABC program. One was Edina, one was Rochester, uh, Northfield, and then I think Blake or Breck was the other one. But Eden Prairie went on, got on board eventually, and the director of that program came down and tried to persuade us to start it up again. But it was a little more expensive than we could afford at the time, so we didn't do it. But the Torch program came into being. Beth Berry uh, was the person who really got that going. Marnie Thompson at the high school assistant principal helped get that going too, and that's just a remarkable program. And we which, should. St- which, I'm trying to remember tackling obstacles. And yeah, I don't. Where's remember. the R? Yeah, it's, it's in it's, your story it's, it's, here. It's in <laughs> um, um, I apologize for all those folks who are part of the program. It's such a great program. We've had. Uh, they used to do a a play, and um, we would. Uh, I, I I'm still profoundly affected by their stories that were oh, I bet. revealed yeah. in oh, the, yeah. in that play and right. um they they are just an incredible group of yeah. kids and Great teachers kids. and and it's not just for Hispa- for the hispanic kids either now it's expanded to 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 other children other students as well right families that maybe they're this is their first time having right. kids go to college right 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 Tackling obstacles, raising college hopes. Thank you, you so much. Yeah, I'm no, so glad we okay. got that right. That would <laughs> anyway, just a quick comment on the students that some of these that I profiled. Richard Hobson became a famous opera singer, sang at the Metropolitan Opera in various places. I think he's a single guy. Uh, Andy Lavender uh, is a tribal judge in North Dakota. Went back. He's Native American. Went back to his community. Paul Glanton was one of the most interesting characters. He also was an opera singer for a while, was a football player, mm-hmm. big football player at Northfield, and then he went to the University of Minnesota and played there. And then one of the ones I ended up profiling is Carlton Lyons, who 
ironically went to Carleton College, <laughs> <laughs> and he was one of my tennis players. A really, really cool guy. He was a, was, a, a doctor. Yeah, he was he the OBGYN. Yeah, yeah, o- did surgeries I, I, yeah, and OBGYN. His right. philosophy on life was pretty uh, yes. um, amazing. He just yeah. wanted to help people and yep. make uh, their cool, lives better. He's a very cool guy. Mm-hmm. So I have a list of a partial list of some of the host parents who served during that time, as well. So that's the ABC program. Yeah, so it's. I think it's something. If you're if you're not familiar, it's really good to visit that place and get rooted in you know the, the stories of one. It shows Northfield is a place who wants to do better, right? right. Wants to to right. help, and uh, you know the issues that are going on that 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 continue and what can oh, we yeah. do. So it's a good way to reflect on that. And the peculiar institution of slavery is still plaguing us mm-hmm. all these years, and we just can't seem to get a handle on it. Yeah, so it gives you a lot of good food for thought, and uh, thank you for highlighting that, because that wasn't oh, something yeah. I was completely My unaware pleasure. of. And next, you kind of switch into, in, in this book, Retracing Footsteps, Memories of Teaching at Northfield High School, the the educational piece, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, which is also fascinating, the how do we best teach our kids? Right. And I think what I found fascinating about that too, so it's it's kind of similar in, in that there are echoes of things happening today and there are discussions and philosophies and ideas and theories about what we can do and those are kind of ever-changing. And so you highlight a couple of those things that came about during your time of teaching, uh, which folks may remember mod schedules oh, yeah. or yeah. elective programming. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, um, there's it's it, it's it's uh, d- demonstrative of of us always trying to get better, always oh, yeah. trying to improve. Yeah, right. And you have a conclusion that I really enjoyed. It sort of highlights the yin and yang of life, a shifting focus from expression of freedom to more control. And mm. we seem to be on that pendulum, <laughs> even never ending pendulum. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, we'll never have a perfect education system. No. Because you can't be perfect for every teacher and every student and every situation. And so you have to do the best you can. What were um, some of the things you learned from those two, you know, changes that happened at the school? Well, one of them was the elective English program. My master's degree was um, paper was on uh, elective English programs for small high schools, quarter elective systems. We started with a quarter system. And you could literally have four or five classes, and you might have 500 students. If they were all different students, how could you possibly get to know them very well? How could you possibly do anything in-depth in just a quarter? So the title of the article is, It Seemed Like a Good Idea at the Time. (laughs) (laughs) And so eventually we did drop that, and we went to a semester program. Uh, The mod schedule was good for a lot of students, students who had initiative and could deal with Uh, with not having a structured schedule, could do very well. But some kids who didn't have that initiative really struggled with it. Our principal at the time, Ernest Gustafson, famously used to say, too many kids loose on the facilities. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't quite understand. Like, they they would have flexibility in... Um, the times that they like were open versus there taking was, a class. There was more open time, yeah. right? And the schedule was the mods were twenty minutes, and you could get a two block class would be a, a, a class, a single class. And one of the advantages of the program is that you could borrow time from your colleagues. I, Russ Margulies mm. and I borrowed time frequently to show movies. So, for example, if you want to show a movie, you could get eighty minutes if you take his forty minutes and block it with your forty minutes. So there were some real advantages of this program, but. In the end, it just became a little bit too much to manage. You know, mm-hmm. it was just too difficult to manage. But also in at Greenville, uh, I don't. You probably didn't know this, but uh, there was an, an open open school concept. There were no rooms. It was just a wide open concept, and people met in corners. And that's where I to went to other. school in yeah. an open concept right. elementary school right. and high so school. That, so my first doors in a classroom were when I went to Carleton to college, and okay. I, I was like, <laughs> "Wow, this is interesting," because we were, you know, just in that. Big space with. So you went to Carlton. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> I did, yes. <laughs> but anyway, this I have another article about our staff development program. We had a really good staff development program, and um, uh, it, it was partly a, a reason how I got into college teaching because I was a, a teacher advisor. We had teacher advisors in each building who helped 
teachers become better teachers. We would observe their classes and and that's take so notes important because it's such. There's I, I think of it as like juggling, right? You've got all this going on. You're trying to teach a lesson. You're trying to manage behavior. You're right. trying to stay on task. You're trying to you know juggle the the personalities and right. uh, there's a lot that happens in a classroom. So that was another article. Uh, before we close off, I'd like to just mention a couple other fun ones that that I wrote. I wrote one about. Uh, the future, uh, which is one that I had written for some, I think the Northfield News probably, uh, and it was kind of interesting because uh, uh, kids made all kinds of predictions, and some of them really were pretty accurate. They this are fun to read. The, back in the eighties, and, and that then, was about the far off two thousands. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which seems weird at the time now, but anyway, the um, uh, also one about. Um, the day the deer came to school, we had that happened twice. Actually, it happened once after I left. But we had a deer that broke into the, broke through the glass window in the H wing, the hallway. And uh, the premise of the article is that we've sort of lost touch with nature. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of far fetched, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> and finally, what happened is that the, the uh, biology teacher and and Ron Newble, my colleague from social studies, who was a hunter. Came up and they figured out. Well, what, here's here's what we do: we open the door and let the deer out. <laughs> and everybody else was the deer caught in the headlights. Yeah, we were, we were the deer caught in the headlights. That's a good way to put it. But then there's also the one that I had a lot of fun with, which I wrote for an English journal article, is uh, about um, um, the um, "to err is human." It was called, as based on the Pope uh, line, Alexander Pope. And there were funny things that kids wrote definitions of words in sentences and so on. And were those really students used those examples? Yeah, yeah <laughs> those were examples. That they, 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 I, got, I got them from them. They're uh, they're they're interesting. But before I forget, I want to mention that I had some help from some of my colleagues who wrote articles, and some of them were really, really, really good, really interesting. Um, Karen Appledorn wrote a couple of short pieces. Uh, she was a biology teacher. Charlie Black, of course, legendary science teacher at Northfield, an art skilled guy, art and theater. I loved his story. I hadn't known that story. And oh, it, which one? He wrote two. Uh, the one about his medical procedure. Oh, yeah, yeah, the teachable <laughs> moment. And then another one called Go Figure. But the one that was really interesting to me was, was uh, Diane Sirkson's story about the day I lost my rose-colored glasses. And this mm-hmm. had to do with that whole protest foment that was going on as well. Students from Carleton, by the way, who were coming over. You probably weren't there then, but... No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Eric Johnson wrote one. Uh, Eric was another biology teacher at the high school on um, um, a field trip that mm-hmm. he took, and Sheldahl was involved in that story. But I also have some appendices uh, with uh, lists of staff who were here in 66, 67, 72, 85, 86, names of the administrators from Northfield, honor athletes... Uh, state tournament teams. Those are up on the wall at the high school gym. If you go there, you can find mm-hmm. all that. That's where I got that information, actually. And, yeah, so uh, if anybody has a connection to Northfield or Northfield High School, there'll be somebody on that list that'll jog a memory. Yeah, or... yeah, we, we think so. Mm-hmm. And then state tournament teams. And then I did profiles of my colleagues in the English department who were just my very best friends and great great people. All There's of some them. photos of them in the beginning of the book, photos too. Photos in the beginning. And then the Athletic Hall of Fame inductees and then the distinguished alums. I had a list of some distinguished alums. Not all. I couldn't find them all, but I did have a, a list of those. So... That's uh, that's the total of the book, but the the one on Tiara's human I thought was was kind of fun. Uh, I, I, I recollected the uh, art link letter program. Mm-hmm. Um, kids say the darndest things, and then Bill Cosby, the now disgraced Bill Cosby, had a program too about about this. So my students wrote, and it was primarily for a course I call a, a language course that I taught. They wrote sentences based on uh, words that they came up with, and. Some of them were pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an amusing section in the book, right? And it kind of uh, makes you remember that, um, you know, we're all learning all the time, yeah, right? And yeah. that we are all going to make mistakes. And that what's most important is that coming together, I think, that the, the book shows through in the book, just of creating the community, right, of everybody kind of 
you know, uh, navigating the waters and trying to, to make things a, a better place to be. Okay. Yeah. I, I, which I, I like think, that. yeah, I think that's a really important part of it. And your experience with teaching com- comes across as well because you, you know, like you said, you mentored the teachers and you, you know, designed programs and kind of tried to work to change things. And I wondered if after all those years of, of teaching, if you think their teaching is more of an art, a science, a mixture of both. How, how do you... you... Know, that's really an interesting question because the whole staff development issue dealt with that. Mm-hmm. We had a number of teachers who really didn't want to get involved in staff development because they believed that teaching was an art and you could not be taught how to teach. You either knew how to do it or you didn't know how to do it. But at the same time, um, for particularly beginning teachers, younger teachers, and students coming out of colleges... They need to have a structure. They need to have a basis. Just as I think in writing, you need to have some basis. You know, I used to teach the five-paragraph essay, which has been discredited, <laughs> I think, by, by now. Well, but, it's, it, but, yeah. but it was a baseline, you know, for right. for learning how to write. And, and you've got to know the rules in order to break them or in order right. to, you know, find right. your own voice. It's like, right. okay, this is how the yeah, the building block. right. Yeah, the, the chapter title uh, of that ABC art or the uh, the um, staff development article was um, uh, was was an interesting one because it I think reflected this this dichotomy this this struggle and we did have a few teachers who really didn't want to participate I think there were more in some of the other schools than there were at the high school who really felt that teaching can't be taught you can't learn how to do this it's an art. Yeah, Yeah, and that's kind of a conundrum, right? I don't think we'll ever know the answer. No, no, you won't. I mean, to some extent, both are right. Yeah. I mean, you have to have some skill to be a teacher, some artistic flair for it. But at the same time, you can learn some things that will help you be better. And it's that combination of planning and improv (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah good 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 because you have to you know sort of you know where you're trying to direct right at the end your goal of uh, what you want to accomplish in the class but sometimes there's some squiggles in your road and you don't get to always uh be linear because that's people aren't that way and if we maybe took that approach in our our way of making the world a better place right of um you know we, we can't always it's not a direct line. We'll get there, but it might take us a little bit. But we'd still keep uh, pursuing the path. And yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the ABC, the uh, the one on the on the curriculum is that what you're looking I'm for? Looking for. I'm trying to I'm trying to find the title here. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I can't I'm remember the title either. Um, to find that. But anyway, go ahead. You have another question. Oh no, yeah, no, I was just um, thinking about. What you've learned about our community, maybe you, you you taught for a lot of years, and then putting this book together certainly must have brought back a lot of... Uh, um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, one of the things you, you learn when you do these things is I like people. I like meeting people. I like talking to people, and I like... Re- if I think if I hadn't been an English teacher, I would have been a history teacher because I really like history. Or an interviewer because as soon as we met, you, asked, you were asking me questions. <laughs> you were curious about me, and well, I wanted to know about you. <laughs> no, I, I, I like, I, my wife and my family all get on my case because I'm always asking too many questions of my grandkids. You know, why do you ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to ask. I think it's a wonderful thing. Well, it <laughs> is important. But, yeah, so w- what have I learned about Northfield and kind of the community. It's and a great community, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad that I live here. I mean, it it is in many respects a special place, I think, and we've been blessed to live here all these years. Our kids went to school here, and they got a great education and went on to good colleges following this, the experience here, and partly because they got that good education here, that good start. Um, and we've we've just really been so blessed to have come here we had opportunities to go to other places, but uh, no regrets about going here and not other, not mm-hmm. to those other places. So, what do you feel at graduation time? Do you still <laughs> get a little nostalgic, or uh, can, you know? And, and after graduation, do you do you talk to some of these kids still? I do have occasions. Uh, I've actually got four graduations I'm going to this year, which is pretty 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 cool, and it's always fun to see how excited they are and looking forward to the next step. I have eight grandkids, so one of them graduating this year. And so Congratulations. That's well, thank you. And so I've been able to sort of see you, you relive your life through them. Right. Which is, is an interesting, you know, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. That's the, 
mm. you know, phrase that uh, we, we hear it coming up occasionally, and, and I think it's, it, it applies perfectly to that situation of having these beautiful children whom you, you worry more about than you do your own children. Probably. I would suspect. Uh, well, that's hard to believe. I worry about my kids a lot. <laughs> I've got two granddaughters who are now traveling in South America. They're 24 and 19. And I do worry about them. You know, I think, oh, these two beautiful blonde girls traveling all by themselves in, in South America. But they're really having a great time. And so, What advice do you give to graduates? Uh... Well, I, one of the things I did say to one of the graduates the other day is, is be ready for new experiences. Don't, don't, don't mm. be afraid to try new stuff. Try new things. Uh, branch out. Reach out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you I, mentioned that, too, in, in one of your pieces about, you know, kind of that, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was teaching and when I moved around, I went to Gustavus and I went to St. Olaf. One of the things I tried to do was to, to sit with different faculty members at lunch every day just to get to know them a little bit better and for some people that's hard you know if you're an introvert uh, Mm. and you don't want that experience (laughs) that's a hard thing to do but at the same time it's it's an important thing to do because you learn about the culture you learn about these people and uh, it it makes you grow and makes you uh, a better person Mm -hmm. that's something we can all take away is just get to know the people around you and ask questions yep well, this has really been fun. I've really enjoyed well, our, our conversation. And it is a delightful collection of stories. Again, Retracing Footsteps, Memories of Teaching at Northfield High School, Jim Holden. And you can check out uh, Content Bookstore to see if they've got a yep. copy um, or visit the library. Probably could stop in here at KYMN and we can get you connected to Jim, too, to sure. yeah. see if uh, if you want to take a look at, at a copy. And it, it'll, it'll bring back memories no matter, I think, whatever high school you went too. Well, thanks, uh, Paul. I really appreciate your putting me on. And the other thing, too, is if you want to email me, that might be the best way, H-O-L-D-E-N at edu. So if you want to book. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, good. I enjoyed it as well. Folks, this is Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. We've always got good stories. I hope that this inspires you to kind of reminisce a little bit and think about what your graduation dreams were. And of course, I always want you to add Art Zany to your life. And in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination. You've been listening to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. Connect and experience art at the Northfield Arts Guild. Visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. In life, accidents happen. But leaving a firearm unsecured, that's no accident. That's a tragedy you can prevent with one simple step. Use a gun lock to secure your firearm. Get yours at FreeGunLocksMN.com. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us don't know how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma and advance mental health. Visit MentallyHealthyNation.org to learn more. When you need some